I wish I could talk to him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that real that realization. Oh yeah, I remember. I can never talk to him in that way again. It's like, oh man. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. So this was a, a conversation with um, myself and Chris Brennan. Chris, I met back in uh, an event in London back in 2019, I believe it was. So this is two men talking about their recent experiences with grief. So the purpose of this show is to, I, I, what I would like to do with this show is to sort of break down the paradigms and along what it is to be a man and how to experience uh, life in its entirety, including all the feelings that goes with it. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. I hope you gain some insights. Christo. Yeah, how are you doing? How are we, sir? Yeah, good, thanks. It's the news, man. How are you keeping? Yeah, pretty good, all things considered. Um, so much change going on for me right now. I know there's change going on kind of for everyone, but then also on a such on a more personal level, it's all change. She's good, actually. I think it's kind of what I wanted and what I needed. So um, what about you? You've been mainly growing your beard. I can see that. That's coming on well. Looking brilliant there. This winter's coming. Gotta keep, do you want to wear it there to keep your warm away anymore? Proper coming straight down. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. You're looking well, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, I mean, you too. You are. You were. Uh, I'd say I'm sorry, sorry to hear about... Uh, the passing like but uh yeah, when, did, when did your dad die june right yeah july 28th my dad yeah it's uh it was it's, it's been a weird year this year like see it feels yeah. like we were, yeah like feels like not just with the covid but like you know we, we had a, we had a flood in february um actually we got my dad's birthday was february the 12th which we yep. post we had to postpone because he had a, a a heart attack on his birthday, oh. uh, so so he was in hospital that night, um, and then that that weekend then on fourteen that was a Thursday, the Saturday was my daughter's birthday, and that night we got flooded and it was like South Wales valleys got smashed like, so uh, and then obviously it was trying to care for dad get past the flood and moving house and. Yeah. Yeah. but everything for a reason yeah well yeah I mean at at the time when when you were getting really smashed by the flood I I can remember you referring to it as resistance and I was thinking fuck fair play to him man (laughs) you know he's so up against it um and little did I know that it was just a little bit waiting for me and it was all coming you know and it's like fuck you know but then when it comes like you say you we just deal with shit as it comes, don't we? If we knew it was coming, then we could get panicked about it or worried about it. But when we don't and it just happens, then you just got to get on with it. Yeah. Um, how old was your dad? He was 81. He breached 81. He was the old, his brother had mentioned to him a week before and said, hey, Pete, you're the, you'll be the one, the, the one that's reached the highest age within the family. And right. my dad was fuming because he was like, not a freaking jinx me now like 
know, and, and, and on his freaking birthday, he has a heart attack and makes it two months past 80, yeah. 80 or 81 or whatever it was. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, my dad was 78. 78 in the in the March, so March the 20th. And then, uh, yeah, you know, pre-lockdown, he was all right. You know, he, he, he has had a couple of strokes hmm. and he's had open heart surgery and he's got... He had Parkinson's, but on the whole, he was all right. You know, he was he was driving himself to the gym. He was going and playing snooker with his mates. Um, And then the lockdown happened and he just started to deteriorate so quickly. Um, He got depressed. You know, he got down about it. Hmm. My mum was like working hard in the garden. She took her eye off him a little bit. And before you know it, man, he was... He was, I mean, to say a shadow of him, his former self is is a massive understatement, obviously, because he'd lost all his weight, and you know it was um, it was really bizarre. Yeah. And uh, I can remember my mum called me, and I, and I'd been having a few issues. My issues had already begun at home, you know, and they've settled a bit now. But um, me and Emily were like struggling, and we've since split up. Now we're still living together. And we're kind of really making it work. So we've realized there's more at stake than just, just a certain side of the relationship. But I was already in the thick of that. So I'd taken my, I wasn't phoning home enough. Hmm. And it was my sister that phoned me and went, Chris, you got to phone home, man. Dad's really in a bad way. I was like, oh, shit. So I phoned home and mum's like, man, Chris, what you, you, you got to phone in, man. He's, so, he's, he's really not well. So I spoke to him. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, yeah, he doesn't sound well at all. A couple of weeks later, I spoke to him and he, he said that he'd seen me up in Huddersfield. You know, he said he said he'd spent the day with me or something. And he could really he really explained it very vividly, like what I was wearing and how I was sort of um, posturing and stuff sounded really real. And um, and then he also started telling me about this dream he'd been having, this recurring dream where he's sort of finds himself in front of this huge supercomputer. This is what he called it. Um, and it had a big analog clock on it. And the, the hands on the clock started going backwards and took him back through his life. And then it kept going back further and further through time until he just said, until he just didn't know what was going on. And I was thinking, my dad's never spoken like that before. Not from that sort of generation. And he's not into any spiritual stuff either. Yeah. And I just got this strong sense. I was like, fuck me, he's going to die. Mm. And I, I, got, I got him to put my mum back on. And, you know, I broke down, broke down in tears at that point. I was like, mum, I think he's going to die. And she's like, no, he'll be all right. He's just going, you know, he's just got, a, he's got, you know, he's got something. And uh, so, so yeah. Um, and it was right in the middle of lockdown. And I wanted to go straight up, but my mum my put me off. And then my sister also said, look, don't risk it. Somebody in our street has had the police round. Don't risk it. So I didn't that week. And I spent one more week worrying about it. And then I was like, ah, oh, fuck this. You know, I'm, I mean, I, I don't believe in the whole bloody lockdown anyway. So it, it's, it's of no interest to me what the rules are. And I was like, fuck this. And I mean, you'll probably appreciate this. In life, when there's certain decisions that you need to make, tricky decisions there's normally somebody that you can run it by not not necessarily to get the answer off them but sometimes you might just want to run it by them you know 
by your partner or by a friend because it's a big decision. This was a big decision for me going up there. But I felt like the only person I could really run it by was my dad because there's nobody between me and my dad in terms of in terms of importance. In, in, do you know what I mean? In terms of there's, there's me and then there's my dad and there's all these other people. There's nobody in between I could really ask that advice. Hmm. So I just woke up one day and I went, I'm, that's me, I'm off up there. We're off up there, kids. And we, we went up there and we then, I then started going up there pretty much every week. Um, and man, it was great. I got to really spend some quality time with him. I got to speak, I got to speak to him about life and death. You know, I got to properly speak to him about death and how he felt about it. And, um, you know, and a little bit about spirituality, a bit about his life growing up and, you know, all of this stuff. And uh, that felt that felt really important. And I think, you know, before he died, one of the last times I saw him. I was just getting him all ready for bed, you know, because he was, he, he, you know, he was pretty disabled by the end. So we needed to help him with everything. And I was chatting to him all the time, you know, and, um, you know, scratching his head and doing all kinds of stuff for him. And I just said to him, I said, you know what, Dad, if you if you're saying to me that you're ready to die, you've got my blessing. I said, you know, you owe me nothing. So if that's how you feel, then you've got my blessing. And it seemed to just release so much off him. He, he kind of went, thanks, Chris. And he slept so well that night and he was chipper the next day. And um, I think. You know, I think it was important. He was just wanting somebody else to sort of say it's all right. It's funny that, isn't it? Like, you need somebody to say it's all right to die. What a crazy concept. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's how it all panned out for me. And on the day he died, my mum had phoned up in the morning because he'd ended up in hospital because he'd fallen out of bed and broke his collarbone. He'd ended up in hospital and he was, he was doing well in hospital because they were looking after him. Hmm. And my mum had taken a mobile phone into him and she'd contacted me and my sisters and one or two other family members and said, dad's doing well. Here's his mobile phone number. You can contact him. And then about half an hour later, she phoned up again and said, he's died. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it just happened. Like, I think he saw his opportunity and went, that's me. I'm out. Yeah. No, something you said struck a struck a chord with me. Then, like I had the same conversations, uh, and and the thing that beat me over the head when we was when we was having that conversation is why the fuck did I wait so long to have this conversation? Dreaming, yeah. like it, it felt it felt like a rush to try and get as much information out of him as possible. Yeah, and, and that, you know, I'll, I'll always have that degree of regret for not having that realization sooner, but. I say it like yourself I was I was I was I was lucky enough to be there you know the, the night before and and leading into the morning a bit passing like but uh which gave me a completely different perspective on who he was and what he wanted um and the night the night because he basically didn't he hadn't slept properly because and the doctor the doctor told him he's like this you, you know what's happening here and he's like yeah 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 Breeze took everything in his stride you know and it wasn't until mum went to bed that night and she was on her knees. And that's, you said about COVID and, and everything else. We've been keeping our distance, but checking, going to the house. And one day I went there and like, she opened the door and she got a bad back anyway. So her knees were like nearly halfway bent as if she was sitting. I thought, what's wrong with her legs? But she couldn't hold herself up. She'd hold on the door and she'd been lifting my 
dad who was like 16 and a half stone, you know? Yeah. And with that, and she just started to cry, like, and I just, I run in, I'm like, oh, COVID. <laughs> if I'm going to catch her, I'm going to catch her, whatever. But you can't you can see somebody bloody, you know, hit the deck. And she'd have hit the deck. She'd have bloody done something to herself. So, and that was the start of it. And that was the start of me. I said, My I, mother was lifting him up as well. Or trying to get him up off the floor. Mm. She'd end up losing her rag with him and shouting at him mm. in the end. And then she'd feel guilty because she'd shouted at him. And she was saying, look, Laurie, you know, you, I can't lift you up anymore and I can't do it. And he's all disorientated. And she'd say things like, oh, well, if you, if you know, if you can't get up, you're going to have to, you know, be in a home or something like that. I mean, she, she was she was under so much pressure as well, you know, especially during this stupid lockdown when no one else can help. It was the same thing with me. When I got up to my mum's, she'd been in isolation for, I don't know how long, six weeks maybe. Straight away, I just went to give her a hug and she, you know, she hugged me. And it's just like, you realise that it's pretty meaningless, that whole lockdown thing, you know. This is, same for you, this was the parting of my fucking dad. Mm. This is one of the most spiritually pivotal moments in my life. Mm. I fucking miss it, do I? I mean, I don't... I think now about how I would have felt if I hadn't have gone up, if I'd have been one of these box tickers who's like, no, I'm not going up because I'm ticking the boxes I'm supposed to be ticking. And then my dad just passes. He just dies. And I don't get any of those conversations and I don't get any of that time and I don't get any of the con the spiritual context that is involved with, with your dad, you know, dying. I think I'd be struggling, real struggling with grief right now and guilt and regret you know, it's so important, isn't it? You've just got to have those conversations and, you know, you've got to have that time spent. It's so important. And you hear it on the news, don't you? You hear the reports of, of, of the people that are dying on their own in hospital without their loved ones around them. And I'm just like, what is happening? Mm. I know Dad, Dad wanted to go in and uh, me and Mum discussed him and... I said, I think he's going to go in. He's going to ask for assistance. So I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be here anymore. And on the night of the night before he passed, he said to me, he said, "Jesus, Joe," he said, "You know, why can't I just die?" Like, and I was like, Fuck. "You know, that's, that's a deep conversation to have." Um, I was like, and I said, I said pretty much the same as you. I, Dad, I said, if 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 you were done, mate, then that's good for me. I mean, don't don't be hanging on for me and mum because at the end of the day, um, we just want what's best for you and and, and stringing out your pain for us. Yeah, you, know, you know you're because he was going through terrible breathing problems and everything else, and uh, just to see him in that state of like the restlessness that goes with all that as well. It's just it's not nice, you know. It's a real funky, weird energy that goes with it, you know. Um, yeah, and. Uh, but yeah, and, and I having that conversation with him though, and even when I had it, it was almost like a surreal, like, as if I was watching myself have the conversation. <laughs> and I was trying to, because because I was increased, I was sat trying to, I was sit sat up, and every time I opened my eyes just to check on him, he would be up on his knees again, and he'd be doing his business, or he'd be over the chair because his he couldn't get the the air in his chest, you know. And yeah. God, truth, it's uh. Like you say, it was crazy the fact that you know they were looking for permission. But he, he was, I think he was hanging on. For <laughs> I think he was 
I don't know if he needed the conversation with me, but he was waiting for that that morning. He was waiting for mum. I swear he was waiting for mum to get up. Then the doctor come, give him something, and said just to relax his, uh, I think his muscles or something. And um, yeah, and, and then he, you know, two hours he was he was he was gone. Like, but he, he waited for mum to get up first in the morning. So uh, one of the yeah. things that I got a sense of. Um, one of the roles of a of a parent of a dad, we're both dads, mm. we both lost our dads. But I mean, we we one of the the roles is this kind of role of teaching your children through experience, isn't it? Through the experiences that you've had, you try and pass them down. And um, and I feel like my dad had taught me lots of things in my life, and I felt like this was his one last final lesson on, and it was how to die. Yeah, which sounds weird, but it's coming to us all. We all, you know, as well, definitely as a sort of Western civilization, we're all scared of it. We all want to sweep it under the carpet. We don't want to talk about it. We want to pretend it ain't going to happen, but it's going to happen. And you need, you almost need someone to show you how to do it or show you that it's all right that it, and that it can be done. Um, and like, I feel like that's a little bit, my dad did that for me. Funny, my dad was in no pain at all. That was one of the reasons we thought he was going to get better. It was he had no discomfort at all. He just literally wasted away, could no longer eat, could no longer drink, could no longer hold himself up. Yeah. And then he was gone. Yeah. Um, and it, it, in a way, it felt quite graceful. Um, so it did feel like one last lesson. And, I, and, I, and I, I was left with an amount of admiration for him for it. Because, you know, he, he had this one window of opportunity, I think. You know, they took his they took his obs at 10 to 4, as far as I know. And they came back at 20, 20 past 4 to check on him. And he'd gone. So that meant he had 30 minutes to do it. Because if they'd have caught him trying to die, mm. they'd, have, they'd have kept him alive. You know, they'd have pumped him full of drugs and all this stuff. And he just didn't want that. Just didn't want it. He was like, look. And it, it was funny because ever we were talking about like COVID or I was talking to him about veganism or we we're talking to him about the state of the world. He got this real sense that he was like, I'm handing this all over to you now. This, these aren't my issues. This is not something I can help with. This is not something I can even, he just couldn't even, you know, compute it, let alone get involved with the debate and I think he just had a strong sense that it was his time mm. you know and off he went smart eh? I've on the whole I've been been all right this week this week I've been uh, I've been sad this week there's lots of things that have just triggered triggered me to be sad this week I've missed him this week yeah. this is the first week where I was really like man I wish I could talk to him you know, um, and that that real that realization. Oh yeah, I remember. I can never talk to him in that way again. It's like, oh man. But I don't want to stop remembering him, and it's it, it's it's fresh anyway, isn't it? You know. Yeah, well, you, you're you're open with your thinking as well. Though. Like when when I when mine passed, like I I'm still doubting whether I process everything. And I don't know if you're going through this as well because you're quite open with your beliefs. Um, I I don't believe that this goes anywhere this soul's eternal 
for me as I see it. And that me too. You know, so the fact that he's gone, okay, he's not physically here, but I'm probably more connected to him now than I will ever have been or ever will be. Yeah. Um, so the, and and that is like reassurance for me. It it, it feels comfortable. Um, and perhaps that's whether that's just me making sense of it or trying to put myself at ease. I don't know. But it's yeah. I thought I was going to go with that, but it's just it's the the conversation needs to be had. And and, and like you said about the the lesson that he left you. You that started was my... off by saying you were unsure if you'd fully um... process my grief. Or processed it, yeah. Because uh, I've seen my as I'm going through it. I feel quite okay. I know I switched off for the funeral. I, I re-engaged and you know, I got upset a couple of nights crying in bed, different things and just be triggered. But all of a sudden I seem to have found a level and it, and I'm, and I'm good with that. Like when I think about him, I th- it's not an instant upsetting thought because the, the, my final thoughts, what, what I saw when he passed was him in the bed beckoning me so literally he died in the house so me and you know i was holding his hand and my mind his other hand and we just sort of stroked him off it was like fucking hell he's going like so we held his hand stroked his hand and that was a privilege because uh if he'd have had what he wanted we would he wouldn't he would have gone in but mum said you won't get a care that he'd get in hospital that he get you and i think we, we managed to talk him around and say look we look after you we do everything for you just you stay like you know um so yeah it was uh and I, because i found this level i'm still unsure if i have processed it or not or whether this still a little bit more in me but this this level i found is this it's really reassuring especially knowing and thinking the way i think do you find reassurance as well for yourself like with your beliefs or well my beliefs are very similar to yours so i also believe that you know that we borrow all of this from mother earth and we have to give it back when we're done, you know, it mm. goes back to topsoil or whatever. And I believe that the soul is eternal. And I, I, and so, you know, I agree that, that I'm potentially closer to him now than I've ever been and ever will be. Um, I didn't get to see him. I wasn't with him as he died. Um, but once, you know, after he died, I stayed, stayed up at my mum's house and, um, I slept in his room and slept in his bed. Um, I was wearing his clothes. He was a very dapper man. It was almost like a peacock, all these colours and great hats and jackets and shirts and real proper dapper. So he had got fabulous wardrobe, of which I've got most of now. Um, So I was wearing all of that. And then I was also doing the jobs around the house that he would have normally done, like I was mowing the garden. So at one point I found myself mowing the lawn, dressed like him with a flat cap on and everything. And it was... It wasn't mass. It wasn't uncomfortable at all. Quite liked it. I enjoyed it, but it was intense, really intense. And it wasn't until I, you know, headed back down to the island and driving away that it lifted. And I was like, man, you know. So I felt like I really got involved with the the grieving. I thought, fuck it, let's let's do this, man. Let's get involved, man. And sleep in his bed. I'm going to really absorb him up a little bit now. Um, I don't want to shy away from it. Um, I feel like that really helped, you know, because I've been the same as you. I've been, I've definitely found a level. I don't get upset when he, you know, if he gets brought up. I'm happy to talk about him. I like talking about him. Mm. This week, it has. There's been three days this week where I've got upset, 
but I can identify it when I'm getting upset. I just, I just be like, I'm getting sad about dad. And then I let it out and I have a little cry and I phone my sisters and I tell them, I'm like, man, I'm missing him this week. But on the whole, I've got, you know, a similar thing, you know, I've got this kind of um, found a level, you know, by not shying away from the grieving. And plus I started a bit of the grieving before he was dead because I knew he was going to die. So I was like, yeah. that was hard. I spent most of my time then wandering around on the verge of tears. People had asked me, are you all right, Chris? You, you know, I'd be like, no, I think my dad's dying you know, and just break down. Um, so I was, I was, I was more on the edge then. So yeah. How did you become so uh, emotionally aware then? Because uh, typical oh, male, well, male, you know, male, male stereotype is not to be to to like to me. What you did was brave to go into that emotion and think if I get I'm all in let's just do it that's bravery so for me I mean as well it came at a time um so leading up to it all as I said it was you know I split with my girlfriend my long time life partner we're, we're living still together and we're really close friends still and, and actually we're still we're still together in in some ways platonically we're still together so but that was big uh the french side of my business um closing down they want to go their own way my two employees long-term employees they want to go their own way in france and then my two business partners in the uk they want to go their own way as well now all of a sudden in my darkest hour i just feel like everyone's abandoning me i just feel like fuck me everyone is wanting to go and just that that's not actually what was happening what I'm saying is in my darkest hour, that's what I felt was happening. Um, and, you know, it was it literally the wheels had fucking come off everything. And it was on the day when all the wheels felt like they were off that I found out dad had died. And I just had this, I just had this really big emotional release to let it all go. What the fuck am I holding on to? Why am I holding on to all of these things? You know, when I look back, I, d I wanted to change a lifestyle and I'm, I am changing my lifestyle um and that's why all of these things were happening you know but fuck me the timing on some of them was like yeah you know two <laughs> business partners close friends and i go to sort of have a meeting with them and, and they're like yeah we, we want to go our separate way when we just spent the previous two weeks moving workshop moving moving them two into their workshops and one's very much a carpentry workshop for luke and the other is metal work for Adam and as I'm as we're putting them together I'm a bit like where do I come into all of this you know I was already starting to feel a bit a bit sidelined and they're you know they're they pretty much set up business on their own um so fuck man everything everything was flipped all at once it was my relationship and my home life my business uh and then my dad dying and you know so I felt though that I was being given the opportunity to to deal a new hand, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. We don't often get that many opportunities to do that because we get trapped by comfort. We get, you know, we, we might want to change our life or our lifestyle, our job, our relationship, where we live, all of these things, but we get so trapped by the comfort of it all. And looking looking into the changes is just like looking into into the abyss isn't it which you know just makes you scared but because i'd been for me fucking wheels had come off anyway so it was like well 
I may as well. So I'm selling my house. Um, I got um, a property in France as well. I'm selling that and not working. I've still got the business, but I'm not taking on any work. So I'm not working, getting the house ready for sale. And then I'm going to, Emily's bought some land last year. She's building a little off-grid house on that land. Nice. Um, and I now I'm going to go and uh, build myself a little caravan for me and the kids up on that land. And I'm going to go and live on that land and I'm going to take stock. Now on the land, there'll be no, no services. So um, it's going to be a rainwater harvesting system and then solar for the power with a back boiler that Emily's got. And then for me, there is agricultural water supply. So there'll be an, out, an outside shower, outside washing up, outside composting toilet. And then we, me and the kids will just be living in a little hut with a wood burning stove. And I'm going to just take stock. I'll, I'll, I'll have made some money from the sale of my house and the sale of some properties. And I'm going to, I'm going to be looking potentially for some land to, to spend, you know, to buy. Um, I mean, I, I truly believe that there's a change coming. I really do. I think the change is upon us. And for me, the best way to cope with that is to get ahead of the curve, to get ahead of the game. And the best way to help other people to cope with it is to just simply show them that it's possible and that it, it doesn't need to be so bad as they're thinking. Um, I don't know fully what I'm going to do. And I, and I kind of like that. I think that's an important part of the process because been reading a lot lately um, um, about stuff and um, reading a lot about faith and and the fact that you need in order for something truly different to unfold in your life in the world let's say you need to step into the unknown now to step into the unknown you really genuinely have to not know what the fuck is going to happen next otherwise it ain't the unknown so <laughs> That's what I'm doing. And it is scary. I'm going to get myself fully immersed in the unknown. And then from it, I read a passage by somebody called Charles Eisenstein, who referred to it as the pregnant stillness, which I loved. It's yeah. like nice. it's from within this still place that's pregnant. It's pregnant with this new opportunity. And I feel like as a as a civilization, humanity needs now. Well, not necessarily needs, but potentially is going to have to also step into the unknown, into this fearful place, whilst this new society is, is um, take shape. So, so yeah, that's what I'm, and I, actually it's great. I'm loving it, you know, I don't go to work in the same way. I'm doing at my house. I can take the dog out in the morning. I still go swimming every day and meditate when I can. And um, yeah, and really trying to sort of, I'm really trying to, I want to change, you know, I'm wanting to change on a personal level. I'm doing a lot of healing work around why my relationship has broken down, mm. which I'm understanding comes from certain things that happened when I was a child, you know, when I was, you know, really young kid and the way that I was brought up. And I'm really doing my best to kind of try and, you know, address those issues and, you know, try and, you know, keep my ego at bay and not be arrogant, not try and be too cool. Um, try and be a bit softer, a bit more caring, a bit more matriarchal. And, you know, so I'm doing a lot of that type of work, which actually is making me 
extremely vulnerable most of the time. I spend my life at the moment in this very vulnerable state, um, just trying to trust that whatever it is I am doing and where I'm heading is, is, is right, you know? So, so yeah. How, how, how do you know? I know you, you said trust that it's right. But what are you following? What's are you following your emotions to tell you what to do? Or is it a case of what well, I really don't understand what I'm doing here, therefore I am in the right place? I am partly trusting my emotions and my intuition, but partly I'm trusting my intellect as well, as in the intellectual side of my brain. That you know, the the, the side that thinks on the material and the earthly level. I'm also feel very connected with that for example i feel like at the moment on the isle of wight house prices are really high and they're selling really well so i feel like it's a good time for me to sell my house because i feel like there might be a crash so so i'm i'm also partly acting i'm not totally throwing everything in and going oh take me here are my clothes i'm out of here you know so um yeah, it's a little bit of both. And, you know, some days I wake up with, with the fear, you know, I just wake up fucking with the fear about the whole thing. Um, but then other times, you know, by the end of the day, I feel really confident knowing that it is what I want to do. You know, it's, it's, it's the things that I'm, it's the things that I'm studying. It's the things that I talk to you about when we have conversations. So it's like, Hey, why not just give it a go? You know? Let's, let, let's do this. I'm going to get rid of all my stuff. You know, I'm, I don't ever talk to you before about liking the idea of minimalism. Well, fuck it. I'm going to get rid of all my stuff. I won't be able to take it anyway. I will have no room for it. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Oh, do you need dropping? Yeah, I just need Oh, okay. It's my daughter who just needs dropped to, um, you know. Hello. This is Christabel. Christabel, Hello. nice to meet you. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's automatic record every time i turn it on just so yeah yeah no i figured you would it does actually look like it you've got your yeah this is oh, like us screaming kids behind me playing games and they're all shouting at the telly as they do it so this is the only way <laughs> this is how i first met him he was um did i tell you at that at that event i went to see and I was trying to make a video and I saw him recording something. So instead, I just jumped into his video. <laughs> yeah, it was a unique introduction. <laughs> but actually, we're kindred souls. So that, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it totally was. Yeah. Well, look, should we try and co continue this conversation? Yeah, no worries, but yeah, you're going to drop the little one somewhere, yeah? I need to drop her to White Tricks. Um, yeah. And then. Um, Let's do well, a part. Continue tonight, or we could continue next week. Because hey, do part two next week. Yeah, let's do part two next week because I want to tell you a little bit more about what we were just getting into there, and then I want to hear a little bit more about you know what you're doing because you haven't really had a chance to tell me any of that yet. 
the one of the things that I want to try and do more of and better is listening. And yeah, <laughs> hey, Diva, as a future podcast, right? You bring your one on, and I'll bring my one on. <laughs> yeah, that's what we should do. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm really interested in doing that. That's something that I might do. I'm gonna pick your brains about that as well. I've had my boy on. That was interesting. You had what? Your boy on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eye opening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Go on, I'll leave, I'll leave it to it. Lovely to see you. Yeah, lovely to, to meet you, Christabel. Yeah, Christabel, say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> right, we see you soon, mate. All the best. Yeah, it's a good bit of life goes on that, isn't it? <laughs> I'll leave all this in. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Chris. I'm really looking forward to part two, bro. I'll um, well, let's let's just text about that. Anyways, cool. Nice one, Joel. Love all you, right. man. Stay safe, man. Cheers, bro. Ta-da. Bye.